From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Election 2022 and the race for the U.S. Senate. Today, we talk in depth with Democratic incumbent Michael Bennett and his Republican challenger, Joe O'Day. They weigh in on everything from gas prices to inflation. I think the economy we have today is a threat to our democracy because too many of our families feel like no matter how hard they work, they can't live a middle-class life or they can't lift their kids out of poverty. To abortion access and immigration reform. I would take that funding that's already approved and I would begin to use those funds to secure our border. I would also want to be inclusive of fixing our immigration system. We need to streamline the system. We need to make it easier to come to America the right way. What you get on a daily basis from Colorado Public Radio is thanks in large part to an ever-growing and dedicated community of support. As a member, you do more than listen. You help fund CPR. Thank you. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Today, we're speaking with the Democratic and Republican candidates running for U.S. Senate in Colorado. Polling has been mixed, but one thing that's certain is that this is one race that could determine the balance of power in a chamber that's evenly split. We'll start with the incumbent, Michael Bennett. Senator Bennett, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's good to be with you again. One of your signature issues during your time in office has been the expanded child tax credit, which provides families with children monthly payments per child. It has been said to have kept 3 million children out of poverty, but the expansion has since expired. You've been trying to make it permanent. Where does that effort currently stand? Thank you for the question. We were able to reduce childhood poverty almost in half last year and and reduce hunger in the United States by a quarter as a result of the child tax credit, and 90% of Colorado's kids benefited from it. I'm fighting hard to try to make it permanent. As you said, I've been having discussions with Mitt Romney, who has a similar proposal to mine. He's a Republican from Utah. And my hope is that in the lame duck session after the election, we're going to be able to come to a bipartisan agreement about how to extend the child tax credit. I may not get every single thing that I want out of that agreement, but that's the nature of, of, of coming to a bipartisan agreement. And, and I'm working as recently as this morning to see if we can get it over the finish line. Turning now to inflation, you've said yourself it is a major concern for many Americans, including Coloradans. And there are many factors considered responsible for the rising inflation rates. But the Federal Reserve has said that COVID relief aid, which you supported, was a possible reason for rising prices. And some economists and lawmakers also worry that making the child tax credit permanent would lead to even more inflation. What is your response to that question? I would say on the child tax credit, I strongly disagree with that. I, I wish that families, which were getting an average of $450 a month, um, had that today. They, they were getting $450 a month a year ago, had that money today to defray the cost of gas, to defray the cost of of food. I mean, today, uh, gas is three seventy six a gallon in Colorado. The cost of eggs is just over $3. Uh, 
cost of bread is, I think, $1.70. These are very, very expensive. And if families had the benefit of this tax credit, it would defray, they would have defrayed those costs. And it would not have been inflationary because it was paid for. So, um, so, so that's, um, that, I think that's just a false argument. And of course, the benefits to the 90% of kids in Colorado that got it and, and, and the poorest kids in America who got it, I think it's hard to overstate those benefits. I've talked to mom after mom after mom who said that the, the relief that they have felt and their families have felt as a result of the child tax credit um, uh, was incredibly important to them. And that's not surprising to me because, Chandra, we've had an economy that for, for 50 years has worked really well for the top 10% of Americans and Coloradans and hasn't worked as well for everybody else. And even before this inflation that we're facing today, uh, people were struggling with the rising cost of housing and healthcare and higher education and early childhood education. It's a struggle for people you know, to feel like they can stay in the middle class or for the families I used to work for in the Denver Public Schools to feel like you know, no matter what they do, they have a hard time keeping their kids out of poverty or lifting their kids from poverty. So um, I think this was a struggle before we were facing the inflation we're facing now. The inflation is a struggle for families in an economy that's already tough for them. I think what we need is we got to fix these supply chains that have created this inflation uh, all over the world. And we've got to create an economy in America again that when it grows, it grows for everybody, not just the people at the very top. Continuing on with inflation, Democrats recently passed the Inflation Reduction Act that includes a number of provisions like lowering prescription drug costs for Medicare beneficiaries, reducing the deficit and investment in renewable energy. However, even the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office said it will have a negligible effect on inflation this year and next. Is this enough to combat inflation? I don't. I don't think it's enough to combat inflation, but it's an important step toward um, dealing with the problems that I was just talking about a minute ago in terms of rising costs for families. I mean, we in this bill we cap the cost of uh, drugs for seniors at two thousand dollars. We require uh, Medicare for the first time to negotiate drug prices for for the American people, and we cap uh, insulin at thirty five dollars a month for seniors. We were trying to cap it for everybody at $35 a month, which would have made an immediate difference to many people that have used insulin in Colorado and across the country. But unfortunately, the Republicans opposed that. My opponent in this race says there's nothing to like about that bill, even though it does all of those important things with respect to health care. And then on top of that, it puts America in the position to lead the entire world in the in the uh, transformation that we're going to make over the next several decades uh, to a clean energy economy and I'm I'm very I think that's going to be very good for Colorado's economy in the medium term and in the, definitely in the long term now if this is a first step what should be done next well I think it, I think passing the child tax credit at the end of the year would be extremely helpful to defraying the cost uh, of the cost of inflation, and I think uh, bringing our bringing our supply chains back to this country is what we really have to do. I mean, if you look at every single country in the world right now, every industrialized country in the world, anyway, we're facing almost the same inflation rates in Canada, in the EU, and in in uh, in, uh, in even in India. And 
the reason we're facing this is because these are global supply chain problems that are related to the COVID epidemic and the recovery of the economy and rising oil prices and energy prices as a result of that recovery, which has then been compounded by Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine, and 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 which has also dramatically affected um, food prices. And that that explanation, I know, is cold comfort to people that are paying the kind of prices I was talking about earlier for gasoline and for for bread and and for other things. But that is fundamentally what we have to do: is bring these supply chains home. And we've just done that, not in the Inflation Reduction Act, but in the uh, in the Chips Act, which is recognizing that 95% of the most important semiconductors in the world uh, that, that are critically important to our automobile sector, but also uh, for our fighter jets, are all produced in Taiwan in a bipartisan way. We've, we've, we're going to bring that back. I think we have to look at other supply chains as well to try to um, guard us against uh, the, this kind of inflation. It, the other thing I'm working on right now, Chandra, is that bill with a, a Republican colleague of mine to try to resolve the issues that we're facing uh, with respect to uh, agriculture. Part of the inflation that we've seen in the country is the result of there being an absence of labor in, in agriculture. And if we can pass the Farm Work Modernization Act through the Senate and get it signed by the president, that could help us lower some costs. Continuing on with an earlier point, the Inflation Reduction Act includes a sizable investment for renewable energy, but the fossil fuel industry is a major part of the state's economy. How do you propose helping communities that rely on this industry to make that transition? Yeah, I mean, I've long said that there is no way that we're going to make any progress with in, on climate without addressing um, the needs of places like Craig, Colorado, and, and Meeker, Colorado, in, in the northwest part of our state. Uh, I, I think that it's a fool's errand to try to make progress without doing that. And, and, and the, some of the provisions that I fought for in this bill are directed exactly at trying to help those communities. There's billions of dollars in this bill uh, for direct pay so that uh, our rural co- energy co-ops are going to be able to help, are going to be able to benefit from uh, tax credits that historically they haven't benefited from, that uh, that for-profit entities have benefited from, they're now going to benefit from that. That's going to be a big deal for Tri-State in making its transition. Uh, the, the the millions of dollars that's in this bill for rural communities to to transition from um, from the place they are to a cleaner energy economy, and a recognition that um, this is not. Uh, Transition is not going to happen overnight. One of the reasons it's been difficult to make progress is that the opponents of of making progress claim that uh, we want to turn fossil fuels off today or tomorrow, and that's not true. You know, we know every study that uh, uh, every study that tells us that we have to transition for the sake of our climate acknowledges that in 2050, even when we have to be at net zero, we're still going to be using fossil fuels in this country. And I think the Inflation Reduction Act reflects that. It imagines that. In a way, it explains that. And I think it's the reason why uh, Mitch McConnell will never be able to reverse it, uh, because it is so important for our solar industry. It is so important 
for our for our wind industry and it does give certainty to you know our fossil fuel industry that they're going to be around for a while as well which and anybody who cares about keeping Europe in the fight against Putin uh, uh, for the benefit of Ukraine needs to realize that our exports of liquefied natural gas from the United States is going to be an important part of, of, of that battle. So I think what we've done with this bill is we've passed a bill, unlike our current lack of an energy policy, which is inflationary, which is bad for our national security, and which is terrible at reducing emissions, we've now passed a bill that I think over time is going to be better on cost, is going to be really good for our national security and our economic independence, and is going to be and is going to reduce emissions. Some say by forty percent by twenty thirty over two thousand five levels. That's a lot of progress, and that is um, you know puts the United States in the position uh, to lead the rest of the world in this transition. I don't think any country is better situated to make this transition than we are, and part of that is because of um, of what of the fossil fuels that you described. Continuing on with an earlier point you made. One area that you've been trying to find common ground on is immigration for farm workers, specifically in the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. If passed, it would help Colorado's agriculture industry by capping wages, increasing the number of H-2A visas, and providing a pathway to citizenship. The House passed its version of the bill last year. What is preventing the Senate from getting this done? Unfortunately, um, I have one Republican colleague that I've been working with this bill on for months. What's preventing it is that the, there are Republicans in the Senate that just want to continue to pound the bruise of the southern border and, and, and use it for political benefit in this election cycle instead of addressing the problem, which is what we need to do. And when you see people, these governors sending... Um, migrants, you know, to other states, uh, that's not anything that's going to help with this situation at the southern border. I've been critical of the Biden administration. I don't think they have a plan on the southern border either. And as you said, I've worked for many years on this issue. I mean, in 2013, I, I was one of the eight people in the Senate who wrote a comprehensive immigration bill that we passed, the Gang of Eight bill, with 68 votes in the Senate. It had a pathway to citizenship for 11 million people that had the most progressive Dream Act that had ever been written, and had forty billion, and did dealt with the agriculture issues that we're we're now trying to deal with, uh, and it had forty billion dollars of border security in it. But it wasn't wasn't for you know Donald Trump's medieval wall. It was for twenty first century border security that would let us see every inch of the border. That's what we have to get back to again. That's what we have to figure out how to how to how to come together on because. We're damaging our economy. I mean, we have farmers and ranchers in Colorado who are having to get out of their 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 businesses because they can't hire people, and that is a disaster for America. Because if you look at our economic growth over time, we've grown about three uh, percent GDP every single year, year in and year out. Two percent of that has been organic, and one percent of that has been immigration. Now, speaking of governors Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, do you worry that they might do something similar in Colorado, considering some referred to places like Denver as sanctuary cities? They'll they'll do whatever they think is in their narrow political interest. It's not in the country's interest, and and I hope that the you know I hope they won't. 
In 2018, you and 86 of your Senate colleagues voted for the Criminal Justice Reform Bill, the First Step Act, which was signed into law by Donald Trump. Given the rise in crime and fentanyl, was that bill a mistake? Oh, I absolutely don't think that that bill was a mistake. In fact, I think we should do more to reform our prison system. The mass incarceration in this country is a stain on the on the on the on the United States of America. We have a system of mass incarceration that um, looks different than any other, almost any other country uh, in the world. So I think there's more we need to do to reform our system. Uh, I do think it's important for us to deal with the scourge of fentanyl in our society. We've got to work with our allies to uh, push back on China, where the precursor chemicals are made, and on Mexico, where the fentanyl actually is made, to try to keep it from pouring into our country, uh, which, which, which it's now doing. The other thing we have to do is we have to make sure that we have a criminal justice system that where, where people can actually recover from their addictions, not are put out on the street in even worse shape than they went in to begin with. And that's something that I think, you know, we haven't really done as a society. I think it'd be an important step forward. Back to the First Step Act. If you don't support harsher sentencing, what is your answer to rising crime rates? Well, my answer to rising crime rates is that we should prosecute people that have committed crimes and we should and and we should do everything that we can do to try to get people recovery if they are addicted to drugs, you know, if they're addicted to opioids and other kinds of drugs. Fentanyl obviously is a different kind of drug than than those, but I think that's that's where our focus needs to be. And I, you know, I, I think we have to su- make sure that we support police officers who are doing this very, very difficult work. That's why I just voted for a 30 percent increase in the cops uh, money here in Washington, D.C. as part of the American Rescue Plan. Now, moving on to abortion. After the Supreme Court handed down a ruling reversing Roe v. Wade, you said now was the time to elect Democratic lawmakers to enshrine abortion access on a federal level. But Democrats have held majorities in both chambers and held the presidency several times since. Why hasn't Congress been able to accomplish this 30, 20, even 10 years ago? Well, I think, first of all, it really wasn't um, it really wasn't an issue before the Congress, because uh, Roe versus Wade had established a fundamental constitutional right to choose in this country. And that was the law for 50 years. And I don't think anybody around here thought that the Supreme Court, uh, at least until very recently, would ever reverse that fundamental right or, or strip the American people of that fundamental right. Now we know that 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 the plan all along for the last 40 years by Mitch McConnell and his Republican allies, in fact, was to strip the American people of this fundamental freedom, this fundamental right. And that's why I think it's vitally important that we elect pro-choice majorities to the Senate and to the House and Mm. to the state house in Colorado as well. So we can enshrine a woman's right to choose as the law of the land. Now, speaking of elections, if reelected in November and if you serve out a full six year term, you would become Colorado's longest serving U.S. senator in the century since state legislatures stopped selecting senators. 
You spent a lot of time talking about how the Senate is broken, but what would you serving another term do to accomplish fixing the problems you say persist? Well, first of all, I have talked a lot in the time that I've been there about how the Senate is broken because for a lot of the time that I've been here, it, it has been broken. It's been broken because of the obstruction of Mitch McConnell. It's been broken because of um, the chaos that Donald Trump rained down on the United States of America. And it's been broken for other reasons, you know, like the fact that 50 percent of the people that leave here and don't retire become lobbyists in Washington, D.C. So there are a lot of reasons why it's been broken. But let me say, over the last year, we've made a lot of progress. We passed the American Rescue Plan. We passed the bipartisan infrastructure law. We passed the bipartisan postal reform bill. We passed the bipartisan gun safety law. We passed the the veteran, the most important extension in veterans benefits that we've had in a generation. We passed the bipartisan CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, which you and I have been talking about. So literally in the last year, uh, we've been able to get a bunch of things done that's more than we've been, have been able to get done in a lot of years that I've been here. And I've made big contributions to each of those laws from the Inflation Reduction Act, where I years ago proposed um, uh, the Medicare negotiate drug prices on behalf of seniors. You know, my $60 billion in the infrastructure bill to build broadband based on the work that the Delta Montrose Electrical Association did on the western slope of Colorado, the billions for western water infrastructure, for forest health, for cutting climate pollution. So that's just this year, you know, and um, my hope is that if I come back, I can help, you know, uh, ensure that together we can build an economy, as I said earlier, that when it grows, it grows for everybody, because I think the economy we have today is a threat to our democracy, because too many of our families feel like no matter how hard they work, they can't live a middle class life or they can't lift their kids out of poverty. And I think, you know, in addition, it would be important for us to make sure that everybody in America has the chance to vote the way people uh, in Colorado have the chance to vote so they can fully participate in this democracy and in this economy. Uh, and I, you know, all of the bills that I've written over the years are bills, whether they're to protect public lands or they're related to energy or they're related to healthcare, all of them have been bills that I've written in Colorado, not in Washington, D.C. And I think that's a perspective that, um, that I, Washington, I think, has benefited from. You have talked about all that you have accomplished, but the Republicans have noted that you have not been able to pass the Child Tax Credit, the CORE Act, past efforts on immigration, and they are saying that this shows your ineffectiveness in Congress. What's your response? I think that's ridiculous. I mean, I think actually that list of things proves that I've been effective. There isn't anybody else in the Congress who can claim that their bill last year reduced childhood poverty almost in half, to cut uh, hunger in America by a quarter. There's not a senator for generations who can make that claim. And I'm fighting, unlike my opponent, I'm fighting to try to make that permanent. Do I have to overcome Joe Manchin's objection? Yes, but am I fighting for the most significant tax cut that working people have had and that we actually did pass uh, in generations? Uh, I am. I when, when there was an opportunity to build a bipartisan consensus in the Senate to pass immigration reform with 68 votes, I was one of the eight people that did that. Now, I, I'm sorry that the Freedom Caucus and the Tea Party uh, 
prevented it from getting passed in the House of Representatives. And I'm deeply sorry that the Republicans elected uh, a, a president who was as anti-immigrant as Donald Trump was and has made it as difficult for us as a country to succeed at this. But I can assure you that when we do succeed at this, I will be in the middle of that. Uh, and then on public lands, you know, this is uh, I have been fighting for the core act for more than 10 years over Republican opposition, the most important public lands bill that if we pass it, that Colorado has seen in a quarter of a century. But it doesn't have to do with my effectiveness. That it hasn't passed. It hasn't passed because the Republican Party has turned itself against uh, in the na at the national level against public lands and refuses to move public lands bills. And that's why I'm working with the Biden administration to see if there might be an administrative way for us to at least protect Camp Hale before the last veterans who train at that incredibly important, iconic place in Colorado and in our country have the chance to see that it's going to be preserved. And by the way, in the meantime, uh, I did just pass one of the very few public lands bills in this Congress that has passed, which was the bill to protect Camp Amachi on the southeastern plains of Colorado. So I think I'm one of the most effective senators in the place. And I know some people probably think the bar is pretty low, and I think that's pretty fair. But every day that I've come to work, I've tried to do that work uh, in the name of the people of Colorado, whether they voted for me or whether they didn't vote for me. And if I'm reelected, that's what I will continue to do. Senator Bennett, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Chandra. Democrat Michael Bennett, Colorado's incumbent U.S. Senator, is up for re-election. When we come back, we'll hear from his Republican opponent, Colorado businessman and first-time candidate Joe O'Day. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Of all of Colorado's beautiful places, a scene photographed more than most is the Maroon Bells, the pair of purple and white striped 14ers near Aspen. To see them at sunrise, reflected perfectly in Maroon Lake below, is simply stunning. The peaks get their unique color and streaked appearance from mudstone, which can be crumbly and fragile and dangerous to climb. There's a U.S. Forest Service sign at an access trail. It warns, quote, the rock is downsloping, rotten, loose, and unstable. It kills without warning. It goes on to say, expert climbers who did not know the proper routes have died here. Don't repeat their mistakes, for only rarely have these mountains given a second chance. Words to consider before you climb the Maroon Bells, also known as the Deadly Bells. A Colorado postcard from Colorado Public Radio, with support from Sheets and Giggles, a Colorado company. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Today we're hearing from the Democratic and Republican candidates for U.S. Senate in Colorado. We just spoke with the incumbent, Democrat Michael Bennett. Now we'll hear from Republican Joe O'Day. He's the owner of a construction company and a first-time candidate. Joe O'Day, welcome. Chandra, thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Let's jump right in. So Congress recently passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which includes several provisions such as an investment in energy security and climate protection, prescription drug limits for Medicare beneficiaries, and giving the IRS more power to investigate tax fraud. 
you said in the past that you would not have supported that bill because you disapprove of hiring more IRS agents. Does your disapproval outweigh the need to invest in climate protections or allowing the government to negotiate prescription drug prices for Medicare? Well, there's a lot of individual things in this uh, in this bill that um, you know may need to get addressed. But my basic premise with this bill is it's a tax. Uh, I've, I was very vocal early on. If you uh, listen to the Committee on Joint Taxation, which is a nonpartisan committee, they're saying that 75% of these audits are going to be performed on people making less than 100 grand a year, uh, and and that's a that's the working Americans, that's small business owners, that's uh, gig contractors, that's plumbers, that's uh, going to be painters, that's going to be waiters and waitresses that they're going to shake down. Uh, and I don't believe that we need a tax going into a recession. They named the bill the Inf- Inflation Reduction Act. And Bernie Sanders has, has come out and said it's not going to do anything to raise or to uh uh, lower inflation, uh, Inflation Reduction Act. So, I mean, they've, they've named it something different than it really is. There's things in the bill that I, I can kind of get my head around, but um, we, we've got to make sure that we're able to, to get those clearly performed. The, you talked earlier about the, the, the bill would, you know, lower the cost of some drugs. Um, it gives Medicare, Medicaid the, the right to negotiate. But what that's going to do is transfer the, the cost of drugs onto working Americans that are you know, paying their own insurance costs. That's who's going to end up picking up the, the, the amount of that. It doesn't go far enough. They should have um, done something with all drugs. Instead, they just limited to the, to the uh, uh, Medicare. And so that's going to transfer the cost of those of those drugs onto working Americans. And so that's why I have a real problem with the bill. Now, would you say it's a tax or a tax enforcement? I'd say it's a tax. Um, and they're going to come after uh, working Americans and collect money. Um, that That's what they're going to do. And they, they talk about, um, you know, some people have said 40,000, some have said 87,000 new IRS employees. They're going to grow another bureaucracy to shake down working Americans. And it's not just the upper 1%. If they were going to shake down the upper 1%, they'd need 1,000 a, a or 2,000 uh, new agents. They're coming after working Americans. Gas prices have been on an overall decline since peaking at an all-time high of $4.90 per gallon in June. Do you see the fall in prices as a sign that some Democratic policies are working? Uh, absolutely not. It's just a, a, a that's a, a supply and demand issue over the summer. Less people driving this summer. We're starting to see it creep back up here in Colorado. It's gone to 375, 385 now. In the past uh, seven days, it's gone up every day in Colorado. It's going to continue to increase. Um, they've got new additives that are going to need to be put in place here in Colorado uh, that Governor Polis refused to, to prohibit. And, and so we're going to see that increase another 30, 40, 50 cents in the next months. Uh, so, you know, I'll give them credit. It came down a little during the summer, but at the same time, it's headed back up again. Now, isn't summer peak driving season, though? 
Well, not for a lot of average Americans this year. A lot of them are having to think twice with the inflation that they've put in place. People have made concessions. They're not traveling like they were here years ago. And it's because of this inflationary period of time that's been caused by the $1.9 trillion they dumped into the market here a year and a half ago in March with the rescue plan. That's caused uh, wages, the earning power to go down by 10% on an average family here in Colorado. And they're feeling the pinch. You've said previously on this show that the United States cannot completely give up fossil fuels because there isn't an infrastructure in place yet for renewable energy. But some argue that if we don't start the transition now, we never will and time is running out. What's your response to that? Well, it makes absolutely no sense to me that we're going to um, not allow uh, fossil fuels here in the United States. And at the very same time, we're going to contract with Venezuela, Iran, Russia to import those exact same products into the United States. That's not effective emissions reduction. It actually adds to it by paying the, you know, having it uh, be transported. Um, we've got much better regulations here in the United States than they do overseas. Uh, so the oversight here actually would help to reduce emissions by allowing that to happen here. Uh, we've got to raise the boat on everything. We need good wind, solar, nuclear, geothermal. A good, clean USA natural gas has done more to lower emissions in the United States than any of the wind and solar that's happened here in the, in the last 10 years. Um, so we need to embrace that technology. Uh, and, and move our country forward. If we're going to grow the, the uh, grid, it needs to be with all of the above. Uh, I think we should take a look at nuclear. You've criticized the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness plan, saying that canceling loans would penalize those who already paid. And you've asserted that canceling debt means those who didn't go to college are paying the debt of those who did. Some would argue that is also how public schools are funded and that those who don't have kids in public schools still pay taxes to educate the children of those who do. Is your argument fair? I believe it is. And when you talk to working Americans here in Colorado, they're they're upset about having to pay someone else's tuition. The difference is they didn't sign up for that tuition. In a public school, you know exactly what you're getting into. And if you opt into a private school, that's at your option and you continue to pay that bill. In this instance, we've got a bureaucracy that I don't even think it's legal for Biden to have done this. Uh, and they're imposing this tax and it is a tax. We're having to pay for it. It's, it's a debt transfer onto working Americans that didn't sign up for that deal. And they may have chose to go through a trade school. They may not have gone to college or, or like a lot of us, we paid our own tuition by working. So this is a fairness issue. It's just not right. And you shouldn't transfer someone else's debt that they signed up to for some, to someone else. Now, do you consider it not legal to have certain Americans paying off the student loan? Well, I don't believe that the president has the executive authority to make that decision. Uh, the purse belongs to Congress. Um, if he's going to do it, he needs to run it by the people. Uh, that would be the Senate and uh, the House, and they are the ones that control the purse here in the United States. Nancy Pelosi admitted that Biden didn't have that authority. We've heard that from her before, um, and she's right in this instance. 
So do you think there is any role the government should play in student loan forgiveness at all? Well, I, I think we need to get at the crux of the problem. Tuition has become way too expensive uh, for people. Um, we've got a lot of these colleges sitting on billions and billions of dollars in their endowments. And why aren't they using those endowments to hold down the cost of education across the board? I'm also an advocate for trade schools. There's a lot of kids that, um, like myself, go through a trade school and you come out of uh, that trade school after four years and you're earning a living and you have no debt at all. And so I'm an advocate for expanding that practice. You've described yourself as an outsider, but the Colorado Democratic Party accuses you of hypocrisy when you attend fundraisers with lobbyists and congressional leaders like Mitch McConnell in Washington, D.C., Georgia, and elsewhere. How do you respond to that criticism? Well, it's just um, hypocritical. The Democratic Party has got an organization that funds their candidates from, in this case here, Michael Bennett's funding is coming from New York and California. Um, I'm not doing anything any other candidate would do, which is, is raising money so that we can keep our ads on TV. Uh, it's it's a, a little bit disingenuous to me. He's Michael Bennett's taken over a million dollars uh, from lobbyists since he took office, and he's trying to hide behind the fact that he doesn't accept money from PACs, but he'll accept it from a union. It's ridiculous. Uh, so it, it's just uh, hide the football with him. He's trying to draw attention to my campaign, uh, and he's no different. And, and in fact, he's worse. He's taking money from a, a lot of people out of state. You've said in the past that you believe abortion should be legal up to 20 weeks. Senator Lindsey Graham introduced a bill that bans abortion federally after 15 weeks, and Colorado Congress members Doug Lamborn, Ken Buck, and Lauren Boebert have all signed on to the House version of the bill. Do you think they are too far right on this issue? Well, I don't believe that that, that bill has any chance of getting 60 signatures. One thing it doesn't, done is, doesn't do is, is protect a woman's right early on in the pregnancy. And so it's no different than Schumer's bill, uh, which would allow abortion all the way up to and including the day of birth. Uh, that bill will never gets 60 uh, signatures. Um, I like where uh, Senator Collins, Kane, Cinema, Mikowski are. They've got a bill that's more reasonable. That's more in line with what I've advocated for. It protects a woman's rights early on and then uh, for uh, exceptions for rape, incest, and, and uh, life of the mother. Uh, it protects from that point on. And so I, I think that type of a bill has a chance of getting through uh, the Senate. And, and that's something that I would get behind. Now, if you're looking to flip the Senate, it very well might be able to get 60 signatures. What are your thoughts? Well, I hope so. I, I think the American public is tired of batting this uh, this issue back and forth. When one party's in power, it goes one direction. When another party's in power, it goes another direction. I think people are ready for some balance to the abortion issue. Uh, and, and I think that it would be good uh, to get this, this issue solved. Now, do you feel like you may be out of touch with what GOP voters want on this issue, given the support of the 15 weeks measure in Congress? Look, I represent Colorado, and Colorado's made it very clear that they want balance to the abortion issue. 
they don't like the late term uh, at uh, at will. Uh, at the same time, they don't want here in Colorado a total ban. So there has to be some middle ground that people can find that gets this issue uh, um, taken care of so that uh, we've got balance as we work forward. You've described yourself as a moderate Republican in this race. Is there a piece of legislation that passed in the past two years under the Biden administration that you would have voted for? Uh, I, I was very vocal about the infrastructure uh, bill that got passed, although there was a lot of things within that bill that I disagreed with. The majority of the bill was going to uh, helping our infrastructure. That's a bill that I would have signed uh, with with some of the other uh, Republicans. Would you have supported the bipartisan gun law that encouraged states to enact red flag laws and put federal money toward mental health? Well, I, I didn't like that law. Uh, I don't believe we need more laws here in Colorado. Uh, we already have a red flag law, so we didn't need it here. Secondly, uh, we're not enforcing the laws that we already have on the books here in terms of gun control. We're allowing uh, auto uh, people that steal cars to possess a weapon without that being a felony. We've, and we've really stretched the limits on, on guns here in Colorado, we haven't enforced our laws. And so until we start enforcing the ones that are on the books, I don't see a point in adding more. Is there any room in Colorado for changes in gun laws? Well, the first change I'd make is let's enforce the ones that we have. Um, we've got woke DAs here, both in Denver and throughout other areas in the state that aren't enforcing the gun laws that we have. Felons should not be allowed to possess a gun. That was a law. It got changed here, I believe, uh, four years ago, made it easier for a felon to possess a gun. Let's take that one on uh, and start enforcing the laws that are on the books. We need more cops on our streets. I've been very vocal about more resources for our local police departments. Now, in relation to that bipartisan gun legislation, what about the mental health funding that was in the bill protecting schools? Uh, the, the problem with that is it's not new money. Uh, we need new money into mental health. It's probably one of the largest uh, issues that we're going to have to tackle going forward. If you look at our homelessness situation uh, here in Colorado and throughout the United States, a lot of those people are addicts. A lot of those people are alcoholics. They've got a, a significant issues that we've got to get better resources around so we could get these people the compassionate help that they need. And I would be an advocate for spending money on mental health. I think that's really important as we move our country forward. Now, you've said in the past that you want to limit government funding, but how does that square with the idea of expanding the police force? Well, one of the bills that I would be would run here this very next year when I when I'm elected as the next U.S. Senator from Colorado, would be to go after the, the Inflation Reduction Act, specifically growing the bureaucracy of the IRS. I would take that funding that's already approved, and I would begin to use that those funds to secure our border, put more border patrol down on the border. I would also want to be inclusive of fixing our immigration system, 
We need to streamline the system. We need to make it easier to come to America the right way. And secondly, we need to include citizenship for the dreamers. And the last piece of that bill, I would use the balance left after we get the border secure and more border security hired to help our local police departments. I'd use those funds to give them the resources that they need to begin recruiting and begin to put these departments back to the right size that they, they once were. I've talked to Chief Pazin here in in Denver. Uh, he's told me he needs 250 more police to fill his roles. I was with uh, Sheriff Schrader yesterday from Jefferson County driving around with him, and he made it very clear to me that he could use 50 more hands in his department. Uh, that's a significant issue for a department that's only 600. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 10% more cops. That's what I think we should be doing with, with the money that got, that got approved through that, uh, that bill. Most voters believe that the immigration system needs to be reformed. What systemic changes would you propose? Well, first off, we've got to secure our border so that we know who's coming here legally. And then we need to make it easier for those people that want to come and add to the immigrant levels here in, in the United States the right way. We need to make that easier. We need a process that's definable. It should have time frames on it that are acceptable. But currently we have, uh, my understanding is two and a half years it's taking to get a hearing now if you're here the right way. So we've got to streamline that process to make it easier for good people to come here and add to our economy. You've also said on this program before that fentanyl is another major concern when it comes to border security. With fentanyl overdose deaths re reaching an all-time high in Colorado, what do you propose to address that issue? It's about securing the border, more border patrol, use the money from growing the IRS, and then grow the cops here in Colorado. Uh, we, need, we need more local resources so that we can get control of this drug. When you talk to any of the cops that are up here, they're telling you they're doing everything they can. They've got Narcan in all of their cruisers now, making sure that they can bring people back to life, but they can't control it up here. It needs to be controlled our southern border. We need to kill the supply of fentanyl coming across there illegally. Should you get elected what would be your ideal committee assignments? Well, I'd like to be on committees that I think can help Colorado. I'd like to be on the Energy Committee. I'd like to be on the Agricultural Committee. Or I'd, take, I'd certainly do something with the military. Over 8.5% of Colorado's GDP is made up from the military and, and those companies that work alongside of our military. The five bases here, I think I'd, I'd like to do that for Colorado, wherever I can help. I've been disappointed in, in Senator Bennett. He hasn't used his chair uh, to get really good things for here in Colorado. Uh, Space Command comes to mind right out of the gate. Uh, Senator Bennett should step up and say, you know, uh, President Biden, I'm not going to vote with you on this appointment. I'm not going to vote with you on this next bill until you give Colorado Space Command. That would be a win for Colorado. Joe O'Day. Thank you. Chandra, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again. Republican Joe O'Day. He is hoping to unseat incumbent Democratic Senator Michael Bennett on November 8th. We heard from Senator Bennett earlier in the show. 
You may listen again to both interviews and also read transcripts on our website at CPR.org. Finally today, happy birthday to classical and jazz music pioneer, bassist Charlie Burrell. He turns 102 on Tuesday. Yes, 102. He'll be honored today with the tribute at Dazzle Denver. Burrell is known as the Jackie Robinson of classical music. During segregation, he became the first black musician to sign with the major U.S. Symphony Orchestra. That was in 1949 with the Denver Symphony, now known as the Colorado Symphony. Here's Burrell on a recording from back in the day playing bass with the Ralph Sutton Trio at the Lakeside Amusement Park Jazz Club. Happy 102nd birthday, Charlie. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Michael Hughes. Carla Jimenez. Pedro Lumbrano. Patrice Mondragon. Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner. With special thanks to producer Carla Jimenez, I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.